Good morning, church. Open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. While you're turning there, you may not have been to the game two weeks ago when the Antlers picked up their second win in as many weeks against Kyle Lehman. They won, which was fantastic, but they also lost some key players in the process, especially on the defensive line of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. And so they were looking for some last-minute replacements for the big game this week against uh, Seguin, which, by the way, they won 51-7. to Wahoo! That was a great win for us to make it three in a row. Now, I say us because with half the cheerleading squad out as well because of the flu, Gail and I got a call this week from Coach Jones to help out our favorite football team. And when a brother calls you to respond, I have learned a long time ago, you respond. So Gail and I both suited up. She helped out with the cheerleading duties, and I prepared to play linebacker. Now, I know it's hard to imagine me as a linebacker, but as humbly as I can say this, Coach said I made a huge impact on the field. I was running out onto the field through the homecoming banner, and I face-planted right there. (laughs) Broke my face mask, and I had to be carted off. It was not pretty. You can't see me, but if you look real closely, you can see my beard right through the guy in the black right there. (laughs) That's a lawyer story. I'm changing this from preacher stories to lawyer stories. Actually, those pictures of Gail and I in our antler uniforms uh, were given to us graciously by Coach Jones uh, for our trunk or treat that we had out at Medina. And it was just an absolutely phenomenal evening. Uh, It wasn't just uh, an alternative Halloween party. Uh, Jesus was there. And uh, for all who came out there to to witness uh, what took place there, it was just a huge blessing. And I just wanted our church family here to know, uh, so often the Arms of Hope folks come and and are here with us on the turf here that we know is a church building. Uh, But it means a lot whenever we have the opportunity to go out there and, and be with them. And they so graciously received us. The food was great. The kids' enthusiasm was great. It was so fun to watch Melanie and her kids win best table. It was actually trunk or treat, but we had to move inside because of the threat of rain. And, and Melanie had this beautiful uh, table. Maybe you saw it on some of the slides before this, uh, the, the service kicked off. But uh, they did a Wizard of Oz theme with the whole thing. The Tin Man and Scarecrow and Cowardly Lion. Right down to this pitiful looking Toto. But he was there. And they went first place, so that was really, really fun. Let me read the scripture with you real quick, and then let's pray and get busy. We've got a lot to cover this morning. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father. Thank you for making good on that promise in so many ways. 
But probably as much as the disciples didn't understand then what what you meant by all that. It's a good chance that a lot of us in this room don't either. We want so much to know your spirit better. And so we're just going to humbly ask, would you please, maybe for some of us today, begin the process of helping us understand this person, this part of you that you have sent in the world to help change the world. Father, we, along with the Reformed Presbyterian Church here in our community, lift up our hearts asking you, please, open our hearts, open our minds, open our understandings to who this Spirit is. Help us, Father, through the unity of that Spirit to be one so that truly the world might believe that you sent your Son into this world. You promised that would happen, and we we believe, but help our unbelief in that, because you know how difficult it is for us to be united on anything. Please, Father, this morning, I'm asking you, this, this lesson's far too big for me, probably for anyone, but especially me. Please come in my weakness and let your strength and your power be seen and heard in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. If you're visiting with us today, you and your family, I hope had a safe but fun Jesus-centered Halloween. And you might want to know that you walked into the middle of a series that I'm simply calling Follow. And in this series, what we're trying to do at the, at the basic level is this, and you've heard me say this week in and week out, we're trying to determine, are we an admirer of Jesus or are we a follower of Jesus? And the scripture makes it very, very clear those are two different things. I think it's always easy to tell who the admirers are in a stadium. That's not so easy in a building like this. In a stadium, the admirers are dressed completely different from the players. Most of them look something like this. This is a group of admirers. Uh, Right there in the center is my daughter, Tabitha. We were at the UT stadium yesterday to watch them smash Kansas. Actually, it really wasn't a smashing. I'm just glad we got out with a W. But for the most part, when you see that, you don't think player. You think fan, don't you? You think admirer. I mean, there's the team colors. Uh, there's some things probably missing that we're going to get to in a minute. But, but automatically, when you saw that picture, you didn't think player. You thought fan. Is that right? Now, there are different degrees of fans, as you all know. And if you've been to any of these games like this, there are those, I would call those lower level fans. I mean, they're, they're, they'll sing the fight song. Uh, they'll do Texas and all that good stuff. But then there are what's known as fan addicts. Next slide. These guys are nuts. I mean, they don't just clap when there's a touchdown. They are moving and gyrating and singing the entire game. They are over the top when it comes to admirers when you're at a football game. I mean, you can see they have painted stuff on their chest and their faces. And and just the expression on their faces are different from the other fans that were, you know, dignified and, 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 and supportive. But... But not nuts. 
So there's fanatics and then there's fans. But both of those groups are admirers and they very, they very, very, um, very much are different from those who are players. Players look a little bit more like this. Immediately when you see that, you don't think fans, do you? Because there's something that they're just wearing that separates them from being an admirer to someone who is a player. And it's not just what they're wearing. Next slide here. There's a separation. See where all the fans are there? They're up in the stands and they're watching and they're cheering and they're excited. And they've paid a little bit of money to get in there and watch all this. But they're not the ones down on the field engaging the opposition. They're not the ones down there on the field who are risking uh, not just whether they go home with a bad feeling because they lost or, or a great feeling because they won, but they're risking sometimes not just injury, but maybe a lifelong injury. And on occasion, we hear about a death because of the engagement that takes place on that green thing behind them called the field. It's a little easier at a football game to try to ascertain who are the admirers and who are the players. Yesterday, Tabitha and I were just absolutely thrilled to be admirers. The closest thing I want to get to being a player is borrowing a uniform and putting it on. That was difficult enough for this 52-year-old. Getting those shoulder, that, that, that jersey over the shoulder pads because my shoulders are already incredible bulky. That was just very, very difficult. Now, it doesn't say laugh here in the notes. What are you doing that for? But are you tracking with me? Go to a football game. Pretty easy to determine who are the players and who are the admirers. Not so easy here. Because the players and the admirers all dress pretty much alike. And they sing the same fight songs. And they read the same program. And they're pretty much... About the same level of, of excited maybe for a great sermon or really, really disappointed on a terrible one or really excited about a great song service or really bummed about a bad one or a long prayer or not getting out of here on whatever. But it's, it's, it's not as easy to spot the players from the admirers. My job is not to help you spot the players, some of the admirers. My job is to help you know where you are. And friend, you can know. This is what's exciting about this part of the... You can know before you leave here today. Are you a follower or are you an admirer? Because of something that needs to be present in your life. Now, not really something, someone. The Holy Spirit. It's what the Scripture calls the Holy Spirit. And what a uniform is to a player, and what fruit is to a tree, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is to a Christ Father. He was there with the Father and the Son in the beginning of time. Because they are one. There are one in three, and the three are one. It's a great mystery that we don't have time to do at all to discuss today. But for time's sake, please know the Holy Spirit was with God and was God in the beginning. And He will be there, not just at the beginning, He's at there the very, very end of it. He wasn't just there hovering over the water, Genesis says, but He's also going to be there at the end, offering everyone the opportunity to come and drink from water that gives life forever. 
Look at these scriptures. Genesis 1. Interesting that there are bookends to this Holy Spirit, particularly in reference to water. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Other book in Revelations twenty two seventeen, And the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life, come. Now there's your bookends of the Spirit. There's your bookends of the significance of water. But in between... What in the world is this spirit doing? Well, I'll tell you this page after page. You see him in Joseph's leadership before Pharaoh. Beazel's craftsmanship that made the Ark of the Covenant. He was the reason for Moses' might who led the slaves out of Egypt. It was the Holy Spirit's influence that the scripture credits for all of that. The the spirit was responsible for Balaam's blessing, Gideon's trumpet, Elisha's miracles, Job's endurance. Scripture after scripture gives him credit for influence in King David's prowess on the battlefield. His passion as a songwriter and as a worship leader. The spirit was responsible for Solomon's temple and Samson's strength and King Zechariah's rebuke. The Jeremiah, the prophet's warnings and Ezekiel's promise. As you read through scripture, you'll see over and over again that this spirit of God refuses to stay in the stands. He refuses to stay in the realm of an admirer or a watcher. He wants to get in the game with you. And while God offers you free will to choose whether you accept him into your life or not, he is still going to do his best to get our attention by imploring and impressing and rebuking and disciplining whatever it takes to try to convince you you need him in your life. But he will always allow you to choose whether you welcome him for the journey or not. But if you choose, he promises this, not just an endurance run, but life. I really want to invite you to do what I did in my preparation for this. Go get that Gateway Bible. um, Google that and just put in the reference box. Spirit. And watch where that search engine takes you with all the references of the spirit. From this beginning to this ending. He is all over the place. All over the place. And what's amazing is, is usually we associate who he is with the sensational and the weird. But when you get in this book, what you actually see him involved with more is the necessary and the practical. Still, obviously that God has shown up but much more so with the necessary and the practical than the sensational and the weird. He gives strength to the weary. He gives counsel to the confused. He gives boldness to the faint-hearted. He is not so much a force, the Scripture says, as He is a friend. Hang with me and you'll see what I mean by that. Yes, He's responsible for mighty miracles, but He's also responsible for the quiet changes in a person's character and their abilities. And most often... The phrase that's used to describe what this spirit is doing is this. And he came upon. And he came upon Joseph and David and Samson and Bezalel and Job and Zechariah. And when he came upon them, blessings happen. Wondrous things happen. Whenever the Spirit shows up, life gets better most of the time. And you would think that would be enough for God. That He would be welcome to come upon us. But it's not. 
As you keep moving through the Old Testament, where the predominant word is he came upon, you're going to come to this place as we make a shift into the New Testament where he's not satisfied with coming upon. He wants to come in. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. In the Old Testament, when coming upon was the major reference to the spirits moving in our world, Ezekiel prophesies the day is coming when I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit where in you. And I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, that prophecy took a giant leap forward when a teenager by the name of Mary was asked an unusual question by an angel. Would you mind giving birth to God's son? She didn't know how that was possible. How do you respond to that when you're not married and you've never had sex? And then in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, the angel lets her know that this birth was not going to have anything to do with what she could do, but what God could do. Here's what that scripture says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. God was not asking Mary to pull off something. God is asking her to prepare him room. Now, I don't know how many times you're going to sing that in the next couple of months. Probably a lot. But I hope every time that you hear it, you remember this particular message going into this holiday season. What God wants isn't so much for that to be history. He wants it to be his story in your life. Because, friend, he wants to ask you this this morning. Will you prepare me room? She did. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your words be fulfilled. Now, those are the words, not of an admirer, but of a follower. Because I'm telling you what unfolds in this lady's life at the response to that request is anything but just warm and fuzzy. I'm sure there were incredible warm and fuzzy, glad, wondrous moments in welcoming him into her. But there was also a lot of hurtful, painful, heart-wrenching moments. And there will be for you too. But God still asks, will you prepare me room? You see, he's making your transition from come upon to come in, and he does it through this teenage girl. And what was inside Mary, we know, comes out. She gives birth to God in the flesh. John tells us, full of grace and mercy. But watch this. The Scripture says, He came into the world as a man, and He was made like us in every respect. I know like, you, like me, you probably run by that one and don't give it much thought. But you, you add that to Philippians chapter 2, and it says something incredibly powerful about this one who came into the world, not born of man, but born of God. He was made like me in every respect. Well, but I've got a sinful nature. Oh, yeah, but he wasn't born with that. He was born with the life of God in him. That's why he was incarnated into Mary. A sin-infected man mates with a sin-infected woman. They get a sin-infected child. God places his life into a woman's womb. And it's just life. It's life. That's why there had to be a virgin birth. 
Because what you and I needed in this world was not just someone who could keep the rules. We needed life. Because Ephesians says that we were dead in our sins and our transgressions. And what we needed was someone to come save us from that death. And so life comes into the world. He, he offers life to be placed in her. She had to prepare some room for that. Don't let go of that because we're going to come back to that, all right? But we've got to move on because we don't have much time. He's made like us in every respect. But interestingly enough, all the God things are absent from his life. We never hear that he heals his brother's broken finger. We never hear that he brings back a cat to life. We never hear that he stops the rain from his friend's bar mitzvah. He doesn't do anything that's God-like for 30 years. And Philippians chapter 2 explains why that's true. Because he left that God, that God power, that God strength, that God miracle, that, that Holy Spirit stuff he left behind. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. Anybody here empty anything this week? Trash can, cup. You know what empty means, don't you? Empty. Not in there. Whatever the stuff that was in there, the trash, the coffee, the food, you emptied it. When Jesus came into this world, the Bible says he emptied himself, didn't count a clog with God, but he came a servant, a human servant. But something changed, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. Here we go. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, that's my boy. That's my son. With whom I'm well pleased. Now, interesting. Scripture records Jesus does not call one disciple. He doesn't perform one miracle he doesn't do anything that's supernatural, that, that usually is associated with God in the Scriptures. Until one moment, when to fulfill all righteousness, He Himself is buried in water. Interesting. He makes reference to this Spirit that comes upon Him again when He does His... His first sermon for His hometown. And He writes in Luke chapter 4, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is now upon me. And He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set oppressed to those who are free in their own personal prisons and to proclaim to everyone the Lord's favor. Life gets real interesting after that sermon's preached because all heaven breaks loose in the world. These people knew their Bible. They knew that the presence of the Spirit in a person like Samson's life or Balaam's life or Job's life or Joseph's life or Moses' life or Elijah's life, when that Spirit was present in their life, wondrous things took place. Things that only could be attributed to God took place. And they didn't understand what was going on, but mark my words, they were impressed. Even the religious stuff shirts who wanted to shut him up and run him out of town and eventually would see to his death could not deny that what he was doing was very, very godlike. Nicodemus says as much. No one does the works that you do unless God is with him. Impressed? Maybe, but that's not where Jesus wanted to stop. He wanted to go further into indwell. 
He wanted Ezekiel's words to come true. And he begins to take some very specific steps before he dies to let the apostles know it's happening. John 14. We got to fly. I will ask the father. Jesus says the night that he's betrayed, the night that Judas goes and and make sure that the Pharisees are ready to put him to an end. I will ask the father and he is going to give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But, you know, him for he lives with you and he will be. In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the father and you are in me and I am. In you. They don't like this news. I mean, they're kind of used to seeing God with them and all that goes along with the miraculous things and the great teachings and his friendship. Um, The disciples say, let's take a vote. God with us or God in us. We vote God with us. If you say me too, say amen. Really? I think there's more of you that really would probably settle for God with us than God in us. I would. I think. But from the word of God, he says, you don't want to settle for that. No, it gets better from here. Well, what could get better from here? Lots of things. But it's about God in you, not just Emmanuel, God with you. Very truly, I tell you, it is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Why do you have to leave? Because he's got to pay your sin debt. That's what the rest of the night's going to begin to unfold. It blows my mind to think that God would not only reveal to me that he exists, that not only would he reveal to me what he expects, but when I snub my nose at his blessings and what he expects from me, he says, I'll fix that. I'll give you me. And he does. On a cross less than 24 hours later. That's why he has to leave. Because he's got to pay the sin debt that you owe God. And he does it gladly. That's good news. But it's not the best news. It's not the best. If you're just putting your foot in the water to this church thing, to this possibly following Jesus thing, you need to understand that is great news that you would have the opportunity To be made absolutely pure and right with God because of what Jesus did at the cross, not what you have to do in some performance of some rules and regulations. That's good news. But Jesus says it gets better. The best news is that he wants to more than just forgive you. He wants to empower you from the inside out to live. That's the best news. With the same spirit that raised him from the dead, Jesus promises That your life gets better when you welcome that spirit into your dead, lifeless body. You got to hear God's word on this. And there's a lot of word today. And I know sometimes that is easy to detach from. But you need to hear this comes from his book, not from my thoughts or not from somebody else's book. And Luke, (laughs) who's given us this eyewitness account of Jesus on the earth, he begins in his 
second book, the book of Acts, which we know like the back of our hand, right? He begins in this second book to say Jesus appears to 500 witnesses when he is resurrected from the dead. And he lets them know, guys, now I know it looks like I'm back, but I'm telling you, I got to go. And he does leave. He ascends to be with the Father in heaven. But before he does, he says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but you need to stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And so they go to wait. Four days. Fourteen days. Nothing. On the 40th day, Luke records this. Suddenly. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wow! True to His Word, Jesus didn't leave them alone. He came upon them, Luke records. He filled them, not just again came upon them, He filled them. Inside and out. And you know the book of Acts. All heaven breaks loose. Just like it did when Jesus was baptized. But remember his promise that we started off this lesson with? John baptized me with water. You're going to be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit. And all heaven is going to break loose. That's his promise. And true to His Word, Jesus keeps His promises always. The twelve, amazingly, who fled to hide in a room because they were afraid that they could be crucified right along with them. And even when he, they find out that He's alive, they're still hiding in a room that, a couple of hours later. All of a sudden, these guys leave that place and they are boldly proclaiming, we are Christ followers to any and everyone, both in the marketplace and the temple. They're not afraid of the, the religious stuff. They're not afraid of anybody because of the cross? No. Of the resurrection? No. But because the Spirit came. Not to come upon them, but to be in them. And it changed them. Peter's first sermon had to talk about it. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Nobody gets left out. And this is happening, Peter goes on to say. Now, at the conclusion of this message, he brings up the spirit again, right before 3000 people give their lives to Christ. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. That's Acts 2 and verse 39. Wow. You mean it's not just for the apostles? No. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Really? Yes. How significant is it for the church moving on from here? Not just in one day, two days, 200 years, 300 years, but 2,000. Can I give you a couple of things? It is by this Spirit we are baptized into one body. 
Hear what the Lord says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given the one spirit to drink. It is his presence that not only baptizes us into a body, it, listen to me clearly, identifies us as his child. Hear the word of the Lord in Romans 8 and verse 9. If anybody does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Whoa, that's a line drawer, isn't it? Follower of Christ has the spirit. Admirer of Christ doesn't. What does this presence mean in a person's life? Well, life. Listen to the word of Lord in Romans chapter 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of His righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of this Spirit who lives in you. No preacher exaggeration in you, in you, in you. If this spirit is in you, church, not admirer, child of God and follower. But what will that look like? What will it mean in my life? A couple of things with the spirit in you. You will change. In Galatians chapter three and verse 22. Here's some stuff that you can expect when the spirit is in you. Love. Joy. Peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, is that weird? (laughs) Is that sensational? Well, patience for some of you would be sensational. (laughs) Present preacher included. But listen to the word of the Lord. When he's in you, those things come out of you. But not just those things, boldness. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, the Bible says, For the Spirit of the Lord does not leave us timid. No, He makes us bold, giving us power and love and self-control. He gives us understanding of spiritual truths. Some of you are scratching your head about some of this spirit stuff. And that needs to be a warning. It needs to be a warning. Because listen to the word of the Lord that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit taught words. The person without the spirit, listen to this, the person without the spirit, the admirer, not the follower, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. That was an indicting word to me. This is 101 stuff, Paul says. Especially to the church at Corinth, he's writing, I wish I could address you guys as mature people, but I can't. We've got to go spiritual milk on some of the basic stuff. And here it is. If you don't have the Spirit within you, you can't understand spirit things. As a matter of fact, they're foolishness to you. You can't understand them because they're only discerned to the Spirit. We get freedom, Paul says, from anything that enslaves me. Wow, really? Absolutely. 
Hear the word of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Really? Yeah, talk to Nate Alcantar. Nate will tell you that he woke up under his wife's porch for the last time. When he was ready to welcome God's power into his life and not try to get sober on his own. And it changed him and his marriage forever. He couldn't do it. But when he welcomed the Spirit into his life, he could. I'd like to have time to tell you about Sally Gary. She's the author of Loves God, Likes Girls. You heard me. Loves God, Likes Girls. She could never overcome her same-sex attraction alone, but she needed the Spirit of the living God to help her do that. And He's doing it every single day. Peter Wetzel, close friend of mine, could not stay away from the pornographic sites. And on a picnic table in Rudosa, New Mexico, I remember the day he reached across and said, would you please help me ask God to help me do this? I can't. I said, bingo, here we go. He is free from pornography Still today. Freedom. Life. Character change. Understanding of spiritual truths. Anybody in here not want the Spirit? To not just come upon you, but to move in? You need to be preparing Him some room. I would think. But it doesn't just stop there. This is huge. You know, because you know your Bible, that for the Jews, the, the thing that it was most associated with, this walk with Judaism, was the law and the keeping of it. It, it was how Israel was identified. The law. What I'm about to read to you says, you need to understand something. In the church, the thing that identifies us is the Spirit. Now see if this Word of God doesn't back that up. Romans 8, verses 2. Those who enter into Christ no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. Thank you, God. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when He sent His own Son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. No, in His Son... Jesus personally took the human condition and entered that disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by our fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid instead of a deep healing. And now, what the law code asked for but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we Instead of redoubling our efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. That's Bible. God doesn't want your performance. He knows you can't live up to it. Settled. He'd like you to welcome His. And that's the key word. Welcome His. called Tabitha a couple of weeks ago, probably about two months ago. 
And I said, I got a buddy of mine who's just invited me to a UT game. Am I remembering correctly? That's one of the items on your bucket list. Oh, yeah, she said, or something like that, that a, a young woman of her age would say. Way cool, Dad. Are you kidding me? Yes, I'm all over that. So we began to prepare for her to come up and make the trip to Dural Stadium that we did yesterday. Can you imagine my promise to her to come and enjoy a game with me? And she arrives, arrives, unmistakably arrives to my house. And for two days, I ignore her as if she's not there. I think you would say probably more than how rude. I think you would say there's probably something wrong with the relationship, wouldn't you? Do you need any more evidence this morning that the Spirit of God has come into this world? Are you ignoring Him? Then the Scripture says He is grieved. Are you quenching Him? He is grieved. Or are you preparing Him room? He is thrilled. And would love to bring God's life into this world like He did through Mary, through you. That's not an admirer. That's a follower. Have you welcomed Him? Maybe you have. But you've ignored Him. Can I give you some good news? He'll get over that. If you'll walk with him. In Galatians chapter 5. Paul says, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And so you cannot do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. You know the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know the tone in this room is serious, but it has to be. Because, church, this is serious. We cannot continue to call ourselves followers when at best we're just simply admirers. Because we have not welcomed and we're not walking in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That sets us apart as unique in the world from all other investigators, rejectors, or admirers. Paul says this, I'm not asking you to look around and see about so-and-so's fruit or, or, or so-and-so's fruit or, or the preacher's fruit. I'm asking you to examine yourselves in 2 Corinthians 13, 15 to see whether you're in the faith. He's writing that to Christians. I'm preaching to Christians, so I think it's still appropriate. 
Examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What's the test? Have you welcomed him? And are you walking with him? If the answer is no to both of those, there's a good chance you're either ignoring him or you really don't believe he exists at all. Roxanne Reynolds is no admirer. I was at First National Bank with her in her office, and I saw a picture sitting behind her. And I said, I know this may be incredibly rude, but I said, that's not you, is it? Not anymore. She was approaching, she said, 350 pounds in that picture. And the woman sitting before me couldn't weigh more than 150 I said, wow, I was there to sign some loan papers. And what I saw was the power of the Holy Spirit in a human being's life. I said, I got to ask you, how did you do it? Was it one of those fancy diets, Atkins, whatever? She said, no. She said, this is going to sound corny, maybe weird. I don't know whether you're a believer or not, but the Holy Spirit did it. She said, I was sitting in a bathtub and I saw my reflection in a mirror. And all I could do for 30 minutes was just cry. That's the dwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's the temple of God. It's pretty roomy in there. But it can't be honoring. She said, I begged him to help me. She said, I had talked to him about my weight before. But I'm telling you, like, I see you. I asked him, would you do this? I can't. And she said, Jimmy, all I can tell you is that from that day till now, he has. He has. I've told you about Roxanne. I've told you about Peter. I've told you about Gary. I've told you about Nate. I've told you about me. If there is anything in this message today that will help you, it's not me. It's him. It's only him. I have a mess. Talking to a room full of messes. And you're going to hear from Greg next week. That's exactly how he likes it. <laughs> the title of the sermon is The Pitifully Powerful. You've got to come here, Greg. Do that. He will take your weakness because he can use that better to testify to his glory than he can your strengths. Come hear that message next week. But he'll do it through the Spirit. If you'll prepare him room. Don't settle for the stands. Let's get in the field. Game on. Father in heaven, we love you. Wow, thank you. Too big a message for me. I want to start by asking your forgiveness. For listening to other teachers instead of listening to your book. I believe. I 
think many of us in this room say we believe, but help our unbelief. We want to grow with you. We want you to know us. We want to know you. And so forgive us for ignoring you. It is amazing how long you can sit in the corner and watch us refuse to notice you're there. To not even say good morning. As a church, good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning. Don't just come upon us, come in us. Fill us up. We are begging you to let heaven break loose through us, however you want to. You're God, we're not. You do as you want to. But we're inviting you. We're preparing your room today. We are your servants. We want to be your followers, not your admirers. So come reign in us. <laughs> not just come along with us. Come reign in us. We invite you in the name of Jesus Christ and everyone said, Let's stand, let's